Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello. Hello. This is so weird. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike. Hello, I'm Janine. And you're listening to Twin Speaks. Welcome to Twin Speaks. Um, I have listened to, or I have watched Twin Peaks multiple times. I'm and Janine. an ultra newbie. Not David Lynch newbie, but just like ultra twin, newbie. Twin Peaks newbie. I've only actually, technically I did try and watch the first episode once, um, but I fell asleep. Not in an insult. It, I fell asleep because the music was really good from what I remember. But yeah, very new. The The music is a lullaby. It will oh, yeah. put anyone to sleep. Um, this is this is my fifth, I guess technically sixth run through because now I'm watching the episodes twice. I watch it once, take notes, and then right before. So this will I be my sixth run through of Holy Twin cow. Peaks. Yeah, yeah, Twin Peaks is is uh, definitively my favorite show of all time. Um, it's something that I've absorbed so much information about and so much, so many, just, just, just absorbed everything that I can about it, uh, uh, in a really fun way. And Janine, I'm really excited to take you on <laughs> this journey. I know. This weird I am so excited, but also so nervous at the same time. So, I mean, but yeah. I'm a bit of a David Lynch fan. Um, yeah. so, um, yeah, I'd say I'm more excited than nervous. Yeah. What 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 of his have you watched um, already? So, okay, I think I may have told you this before, but a Razorhead was probably obviously the most memorable one for me uh, that I saw, and um, I went to the theater and it was a dine-in theater. I did not know what I was getting into, and I was front row with a burger and looked up and then just saw that iconic <laughs> baby. <laughs> yeah oh no the creepy baby i even didn't even have a burger in like years i remember i was just about to take a bite in my like first burger in a long time and then i saw that and i was like okay is this a sign or something that i shouldn't be um but yeah you can't really forget watching that movie and then i watched it actually um i'm in a cinema club and it was last week's movie choice so i had to watch it for a second time and I'm kind of glad I did leading up to this podcast now. So I feel like I'm in a very David Lynch strange mindset lately since watching that. But I've seen, um, what was it? We watched, uh, what did Jack do? Is that the right one? Oh, the one with the monkey that was on Netflix. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We watched so that I've together. Seen right? That one, and that was probably actually yeah. my favorite thus far of David Lynch things that I enjoyed. It was so comical. So, but yeah. Incredible amazing so yeah so so really what what this podcast is going to be is uh we're going to watch twin peaks me and janine and if you are someone who has watched twin peaks and it's full and you enjoyed it you can kind of get a a fresh set of eyes watching the show through janine um but if you're someone who this is your first run through of twin peaks then welcome to this weird and strange world and uh (laughs) Welcome newbies. We're gonna and uh and and I'm gonna walk you through it. 
uh, give you some fun tidbits and facts and breakdowns and uh, most importantly, talk about the legacy of Twin Peaks, what this show, the impact that it had on pop culture, film, television, uh, I mean, really just just really the, how it sort of pushed its way into the zeitgeist and, and really made a, a, an impact on TV. I have to so. say, even as someone who hasn't seen the show properly ever, and surprisingly, knock on wood, um, no spoilers, really. Um, it's still a, f- a show that I could understand, like, just the the intro. You hear that intro, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know what that's pertaining to. The logo itself with the neon green and brown is just... And I, I remember hearing the name Laura Palmer, thinking that was a real person, actually, when I was younger, um, and not knowing that, <laughs> actually, I thought it was on one of those 90s uh, crime, like, documentaries, not actually a show. Um, so, but yeah, even as a person that hasn't seen the show before, it's very much, I, I don't know one person that hasn't not known of Twin Peaks. So, legacy, I'm ready. Yeah, that's 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 so interesting. Yeah, I I do. Yeah, I love the intro. It it sort of has that like nostalgic feel, without there really being like anything to be nostalgic for. Like I, you know, I I was born in '93. I didn't watch Twin Peaks when it came out, um, but still, there's this sort of longing. There's this sort of like, yeah, dreamy, sort of it casts kind of like a spell over you. Like it's this real nostalgic feel, and it's really nice. Absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. well, listen. With that being said, I am Janine, ready. Let's bull up. Are you ready? Are you ready to, to jump okay. into the episode? Well, Janine, meet me at the roadhouse. Because we're going to go, we're going to go bullet point by bullet point. We're going to talk about each plot point, each scene, and get your reactions. So Janine, walk us through. Walk us okay, through what so happened. First off the bat, I just have to say, being that this episode, it's an hour and a half long. So I'll, right off the bat, I was a little bit intimidated. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. So we <laughs> find the body f- first few minutes in. Um, and I was like, this is going to get good already. Um, yeah. She's a <laughs> She's dead. <laughs> Wrapped in plastic. Wrapped in plastic. Sitting by the lake. <laughs> Uh, things aren't looking too good. And, oh my gosh, okay, I have to say, even this early on, favorite part of the episode is this guy, Andy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Can we talk about Andy? Deputy the majority? Andy. <laughs> I'm calling him Andy the empath. That's what I put, like, when I was writing stuff down for myself. The empath. Oh. Uh, this poor guy. Um, yeah. I love that for Andy. I love that for Andy. He's such a precious like, I little I know it's bean. only one episode in, but I'm like, I want to see this guy more. How many times is he going to cry? I hope it's every time. <laughs> I feel so relatable. <laughs> I I want to know. I want I want to know what happened at Blodgett's farm. They mentioned that like, it, like Harry says something to the effect of like, you know, oh Andy, you did this last time oh, at yeah. Blodgett's farm. It was just vaguely mentioned casually. I want to know what happened to Blodgett's farm because clearly this is like the first like big time murder in the town oh, yeah. of Twin it looks Peaks sick because it's just a, a quaint town for sure. 
Right. So so I'm kind of imagining a situation where like a raccoon got into like a chicken coop or something and just like ripped up the chickens and Andy's just sitting there like crying over the dead chickens because he's a precious little bean who we must protect. Yeah, so I have to say so far uh, in the beginning, I was surprised how early on, I mean, I've heard people talk about before with the show that it's a bit comical. And I know that David Lynch does have a, a sort of mm. unique take on comedy. So, yeah, in the first few minutes, I was just chuckling by myself because I just, I get Andy. I get it. And he's not afraid to show his feelings. So, but yeah. Um, so let's see. We move on to, what was it? Sam, Sarah Palmer. Oh my God, the mom. Okay. So another sad character for lack of better words, um, when Sarah calls um, like Bobby's mom, my instincts, can we just point out, I think the woman's name was Beth. I, I actually wrote down so many names. The amount of characters <laughs> that show up in this first episode, I, what is it, like 20 something? But anyway, Beth, I think her name. Yeah, it's, it's a huge so download. It's a huge download. Um, when Sarah's on Mrs. Palmer's on the phone with Beth, I just can't get over Beth casually having scissors in her hand. She literally goes across the kitchen, which oh my gosh, I have to point out, the kitchen is red. I'm I was I started taking down notes of every single thing that was red and boy was there a handful of red things and I don't know what that means, but I know there's cherry pie. I no, there's murder, and that's got that usually entails red, like blood. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the kitchen <laughs> is so bright red, and hmm. I have to. I, I wonder what I that could know. mean. But I don't trust Bobby's. Uh, let's be honest. I, yeah, Bobby's parents and Bobby himself. Not a fan. I don't trust Bobby's coach. Oh yeah. <laughs> Trust the football coach. Uh, yeah, Bobby, he, uh, you know, come to think of it, he hasn't shown up to football practice in uh, like a few weeks. I guess I probably should have, I don't know, called his parents. Yeah. Maybe tried calling him, making sure he's okay. Like it, Right away, every single person has like 5,000 secrets and then some. I just was just... No, but yeah, I didn't really care for so far Bobby's parents. Um, yeah, I had a bad vibe. You don't just call, you don't answer a phone and then start snapping scissors, like playing with them like a, like an eight-year-old. It's just. <laughs> um, now this is, okay. Is there a certain thing I need to know about Norwegians in this, in this, in this episode? <laughs> Or just in in this this show, uh, there's something about Twin Peaks and Norwegians that I did not know about prior, and I <laughs> I found that to be there is there is this weird obsession with like European culture, like especially like in this episode, um, like there's the Norwegians, there's the character Heidi, uh, who's who's uh, German. Shelley mentions something about uh something about france and that she calls bobby a cowboy there seems to be a lot of european influence in this episode and i'm sure it means something and we're going to talk about it a lot more as we go through this series just i mean 
the way that this guy, I think Ben or Benjamin, he the way he's mm-hmm. trying to sell, he's because he's trying to sell what is it exactly? This is one one area where I got lost. He is trying to sell the lodge, or is it like a a different thing within the town? So it's this whole big, complicated. I. I Again, this is my sixth watch, uh, watch through of the series, and even I'm still like, wait, who's selling what now? So he's selling uh, the 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 sawmill, okay, the woodmill, got it, which is on the Ghostwood property. The problem is, as um, Leland mentions to him, Leland says to him, "Okay, but do they know that we don't actually own the land yet? That we're like still coordinating that business transaction." Which clearly they don't. Clearly Benjamin is pulling yes. some corruption here hell. to which Leland if if there were three words to describe Benjamin Horn, they would be sketchy as hell. Um so the, yeah, there's there's a shady business transaction going here which Leland is cautious about. Benjamin is clearly I just mean, trying to steamroll. If you want to make yourself look sketchy, the way you introduce yourself is by spitting into a fireplace. <laughs> you just go. <laughs> it's not even. Yeah, sp- excuse me. <laughs> he like he he gets back there too. He hacks that from. The- I know, and I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. Like he just. <laughs> it's like he just spat, and it was such a loud noise that I was just expecting the fireplace to explode. <laughs> I was like, "Holy hell!" I'm reminded of it's one of those situations where I'm just like, "How much more information would we have if we actually spoke Norwegian?" Um, someone I talked to once about the movie, uh, "The Thing," mm-hmm. John Carpenter's "The Thing." In the beginning of that movie. There's a man who with it's, it's a uh, I think they're Norwegian. They might be Swedish. I can't. Remember. I've only seen a few or snippets Swiss. of the thing at like two a.m. half asleep. <laughs> that was a great night. <laughs> well, I mean, just just mm-hmm. assuming he's Norwegian. Someone pointed out once that like you know he's he's shooting at the dog and he's shooting at the dog. Spoiler alert: the dog winds up. Being the monster that, that like, was the scene I saw when I, in the middle of the night. Um, it's just it's like a husky, and it's a really, really graphic. Yeah, oh, you cannot forget seeing that on mm-hmm. the screen. Yeah, no, it is horrifying. But someone pointed out that was like, you know, if you speak Norwegian, <laughs> the movie's ruined. You know exactly what's gonna happen. <laughs> like, movie's over. You know it. That's the monster. Well. They're done. I wonder what Norwegian's rating then is of the movie itself and the timing and pace. They're like, well, I know everything, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Zero out of ten. So the whole part where it transitions from Benjamin trying to, like America does, sell <laughs> sell with the without the fine print. Um uh the whole parent scene with Mr. and Mrs. Palmer and the lead up, the music playing during this. I think actually it's from the whole beginning that leads to that. But the whole scene of how um, Leyland and Sarah are finding out about Laura. Yeah, that hit me. I mean, it's been done time and time again. And part of me thinks that maybe there's probably inspiration that's been drawn from this particular scene, having not seen it before. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that was pretty heavy to to watch. Um, 
but I also had a moment. I'm a person that chuckles sometimes when things get really dark in an episode. I'm probably the worst person to watch something with because I'll be <laughs> laughing and it's like, it's just not the right time to laugh. Um, but it might have just been that 90s yeah. vibe of Leyland's cry. I mean, his 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 breakdown, that sort of like spine tingling shriek that, that Sarah gives yeah, out, um, you know. And it's and it's not like, you know, it's not like Harry Truman like walks in and says, "Hey, Leland, your your daughter's dead." They piece it together. They see Truman walk in. They know their daughter's missing. He's looking for Leland. Yeah. They know. In that instant, their hearts shatter to pieces. Especially Sarah's buildup, where she's just <sighs> the way she's just wanting to hear what's going on. Yeah, it very much makes me think of. Yeah, I mean, not being a parent, but when you just think of all those, it's honestly, for me, the definition of dread. The idea of parents that when you would, if you were to lose a child, basically, like, you know, when you think you have a kid, like, they're going to grow up to live older than you. You're going to die before them. So parents just living in their lifetime and then finding out their child. It's so, I mean, I'm not surprised. This is David Lynch. It's going to get really, really freaking dark, but... Yeah, that got me, especially Sarah's scream. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's tough and especially you know, we'll we'll talk about this more later when we talk about the the legacy, but it's something that is kind of like new to television. I mean, you know, obviously like people getting murdered in television, mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. you know, as old as history, you know, as long as as old as television has been around. But something that strikes so so deep and, and so meaningfully and, and just the performances is really kind of something that you didn't see a lot of uh, in TV at this time. It, 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 I'm not going to say Twin Peaks invented it. That would be really too big of a statement. But it really is, you know, yeah, like it's, you know. It's the first episode of a TV series, but it really feels like a movie. It really feels like it really tugs at your heartstrings the way that like a, a film would, oh, yeah. like a movie would, like you're sitting in a theater oh, yeah. watching a movie. I definitely went away from watching it's this really one well episode as a sort of film. I mean, not just because of the t- um, how long it was, but I mean, it's a good point you bring up because when I, when we talk about television today and we cover shows like, you know, HBO series and just how a lot of what entertainment thrives on nowadays is these really dark intense storylines and shows that in in television more so sometimes people say than film right now uh, with movies so i could definitely understand from this early 90s kind of depiction or of a show that it definitely was sort of a backdrop to what led to hbo series now and showtime and all that stuff and this idea of basically yeah, like a, a a film within each episode kind of um, narrative. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk more about that when we talk about <laughs> the legacy. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, one thing I was actually really looking forward to, just because it's one of those things, having not seen the show that I knew of, was cherry pie and coffee and diners. I mean, Mike, we're Long Island people diners yep are in yes. our veins like we are just so <laughs> i'm so yeah i remember what was it this woman norma and shelly was probably the uh, a face that i recognized just from um other things before 
Um, and then, of course, I don't know, Bastard Bobby. Um, I don't know him enough yet. I know. But... Listen, you can, you, can, you can definitely dislike Bobby. I think okay. the point is to dislike Bobby. Um, but this, but this podcast, this is a Dana Ashbrook appreciation podcast because the oh. the actor who plays Bobby, because Dana Ashbrook, what a performance! I mean, this whole episode, the walk to the office, <laughs> it's probably that dance is probably something I plan to do in the club at one point or another when I thought I would be a club person. But that's just he just seems like a, I don't know, he, he is a person that throughout the episode he was very entertaining to watch but also i was the most critical of probably compared to all the characters of course just because he was so extra he was extra on top of extra Um, absolutely absolutely what was it so in the diner the first moment i was like getting vibes of okay this character could be fishy was norma and sort of her what was it like bobby says something as he walks out and then Norma says, he, I think he says something along the lines of like, I'll see you in your your dreams. And she goes, not if I see you first. And I was just like, ooh. Yeah, he, yeah, he says, I'll be seeing you in my dreams, Norma. And Norma's she like, responds, yeah, not if I'll I see you first. In your sleep. <laughs> I just. Okay. Raising an eyebrow at yeah. Norma. I respect that. It was that. probably too soon. That. But at the same time, you know, girls got to listen to her intuition. So. Well, fun, fun, fun fact about Norma. I'll bring this up now because I always like getting people's reaction to this. Uh, Norma is played by Peggy Lipton, uh, who un- unfortunately passed away uh, recently, a few months ago. Um, but she is actually Rashida Jones's mother. Really? Wait. Okay. Now this is slightly ringing a few bells in my head because my dad, my dad's one to always mention really random stories and things related to Hollywood or out at sea because he works out at sea. But I he's mentioned from time to time and again Rashida Jones's parents because I know she has very famous parents. And that's where I remember her name. Like I, I saw the name in the credits and I was like, oh, Lipton, mm-hmm. that sounds familiar. Oh, but rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, mm-hmm. very sad. But her, her legacy lives on and her very, very talented, uh, uh, amazing daughter. Right. So... I just can't wait to learn about all these actors within the... I mean, some of them I'm slightly familiar with, but overall, a lot of them I've never been honored enough to actually watch them. And what, you know, makes this show so great revolving around these, like, really amazing actors on top of everything else that's so great about the show, from what I hear. Because who knows? I might, at the end of this podcast, be the harshest critic and hate the show. No, I can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who knows that's i mean that's that's the photo it's... Twin Peaks, you never know. <laughs> true <laughs> um but yeah so i was pretty ex- i look forward to seeing more diner-esque moments i mean the setting overall i've actually i totally. know i really love the whole woodland secluded sort of i think it takes place in the west coast i'm assuming in oregon uh washington actually and i know that because I've i'm assuming been you get the <laughs> Yep, I was. Uh, I went to the diner, which um, the uh, interesting story about the diner is, it was actually um, so they filmed you know, in the first episode. They filmed at the actual diner. Um, it was uh, Tweets Cafe. Someone bought it, refurbished it, mm-hmm. changed it, right? Changed the inside, so it didn't look like Twin Peaks anymore. Oh. It didn't look like the RR diner, and then it actually burned down. 
and then somebody else bought it and made it look like the show again. So if you go there now, it actually looks like, yeah, it actually looks like the double R. Why? So it was really fun. And it's all, it's all decorated. You can get like their famous cherry pie and it's super fun. Why am I assuming that the fire was a suspicious fire? I'm just like, cue music. No, nothing is, nothing is safe in Twin Peaks. Nothing is safe in Twin Peaks. Oh, man. So, what was it? Shelly and um, Bobby, Bastard Bobby, go, what was it, in his, <laughs> I'm going to be just, it's just my thing. Um, they go, what was it, in his truck, and, okay, I know David Lynch is known for really interesting dialogue, and just, Two words. Pocket rocket. <laughs> it's really something. Pocket rocket. Shelly, you're a three-stage rocket. A pocket rocket. That's when I was questioning. Like, at first, I didn't like this guy, Bobby. And I was like, wow. But he definitely, he's got a way with words. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot more oh. of this kind of... Um, uh, no, I'm basically looking forward to a lot more pocket rockets, whatever the f- f- hell pocket rockets are. <laughs> poor, poor Shelly. She makes so many bad decisions with men. I'm getting, I'm getting the energy there right in the first few minutes of her. Um, this truck, which I know now from watching by the end of the episode, seems to be, I think, this guy Leo's truck or this person she's with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First few minutes of Shelly, she's already got two bad uh, guy vibes on her shoulders, and I'm kind of like, uh-oh. Yeah, so so, so Leo is uh, her husband. Um, essentially, Shelly, like, dropped out of high school and married uh, Leo. Yeah, so that's Shelly, her. Shelly, Shelly, Very, very, yeah, yeah. Very not-so-nice husband, Leo Johnson. Well... It's either Leo Johnson or Pocket Rocket. What do you, Pocket Rocket Bastard Bobby. That's what. <laughs> I choose Pocket Rocket. Listen, he's got a better haircut. You that's that's really what pocket, it comes down to. Your Rocket. <laughs> it's so. This actually is so bad. Oh, there's gonna be too many sayings with this. Okay. Um. But yeah. Um. Did find that interesting. I'm. I am intrigued about. I mean. I didn't really. Bobby seems like a bit of an like an airhead kind of character that I was like he he didn't he didn't kill anybody. Mm. I think he's just a little bit and um, but Shelly, I, I just like Norma. I was like, oh okay, there's a little bit more mystery like mystery to her that I'm intrigued about. But okay, raising <laughs> eyebrows at Shelly. I let's be honest. I raise eyebrows at the coffee in this show. I'm gonna raise eyebrows at everything, <laughs> um, except Bobby. Except yeah. Bobby. Tur- <laughs> yeah, tur- turns out Laura just choked <laughs> on a cup of coffee, slipped into the some plastic wrapping, and choked fell into the river. On a little bit of cherry pie. Show's, show's spoiled. <laughs> Sorry. Um, show's over. Yeah, but Pocket Rocket has me giggling till the end of time. Um. My favorite, and you saw in my notes with the clouded star outline, hallway locker dance boy. <laughs> Is that his name? Can I call him <laughs> locker dancing locker kid? That's 
Oh, oh, we don't know what else to call him. So yeah, why do I feel like this name? is where they got bring out the dancing lobsters? <laughs> it's just a thing. I mean, it's it's really like that, just that that Lynchian touch. You know what I mean? Like, like that thing that just kind of stands out and makes you go, "Why? Yeah, why? Like why? 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 Why did that happen? Why did why did they do that?" Um, I thought it was funny. Yeah, I I I, I think. If I remember correctly, I was reading something that basically what had happened was like that that actor had just decided to do that. And David Lynch was like, great, leave it in. Just, wow, what just guts on just that extra. Go ahead. <laughs> that so uh, that's David Lynch. That's David Lynch for you. I really just saw that and I was just like, I feel like I know this kid or just want to know this kid because... Who doesn't want to have a kid that just dances off scene in the hallway between each class period? I mean, yeah, we all we we oh, all went to yeah, high school right, with that right. kid. Let's be honest. Which we all was know, you. we all know someone like that. <laughs> it was probably me. It was probably a hundred and ten percent me. Yeah, I think one thing that's so interesting, one thing that's so interesting to witness in this whole lead up in the in the first half of the episode is seeing you're assessing and learning how these characters are based on their response to Laura Palmer being dead. Like that was something very interesting to me, not knowing any of these characters, who they are, how they identify themselves. I'm only getting to know them through how they're feeling about her death. And that to me was quite interesting in the balance of just watching Donna, Audrey, James, I mean, her parents obviously. And then, you know, and so on. And then these all these other little side characters like the principal where I'm kind of just like, it's also, it just makes you also assess Laura at the same time, of course, not knowing her. It's just like, damn, <laughs> Laura, Laura had an impact on everybody. Well, it's, it's clear that this is a small town that doesn't face this kind of tragedy yeah. often. You know what I mean? It's 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 that sort of small town that to them like tragedy Fine. is yeah. you know again like like chickens getting ripped up by a raccoon yeah. would be tragic. You know what I mean? Like, but someone like Laura Palmer, who was you know one of the most popular girls at school and and who had all these friends and all these people that she knew. To have her just suddenly get ripped away from the world is really, it really has an impact on the small town. Yeah. I mean, even when they first, you know, unwrap the body, they they all know that, you know, Sheriff Truman, Doc Hayward, they yeah. know who it is. You know, like, listen, you know, like, uh, you know, God forbid some something happened to someone in, in my neighborhood, you know, the, the local police wouldn't know who they were. You know, but that's how small this town is. That's how knit this community is. And it really has that, that huge impact. And it's really sad. I'm feeling it right now. I'm kind of like... <laughs> this is only episode one. This is, this is a sad This is a sad pod. It's a sad pod, you guys. Get the tissues ready. Yeah, so... <laughs> so far... This is, yeah, only, what, a half hour in. It's such an intense sort of episode. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's only the beginning. Um, 
so yeah, getting the vibe off of James, Donna, and Audrey definitely was a bit overwhelming. And I was kind of like, a lot of my focus, of course, towards the end of that scene went towards Audrey because anyone that's smirking or, I mean, it's one thing if you just don't have emotion towards, I mean, everyone has their own way of reacting, of course. Um, but if you're smiling, uh, it's fishy. So, Audrey is a complicated character. I'll say that. She's a very complicated person. Interesting. I'm watching you, Audrey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is all from the 90s. Like, all these, so many people have seen this show, and I'm just casually 20 years late <laughs> talking like a. <laughs> you're, you're still like. <laughs> like, it just aired today. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. I mean, that's yeah. really the beauty of Twin Peaks. So this Ronnie girl, Ronette, is that how you pronounce her mm-hmm. name? Ronette Polanski. Polanski. Yep. Um, feel bad for this chick. Holy crap. That one, just the whole, so ticking clock, silent, you know, grieving mother scene was already creepy. I mean, it has been creepy thus far, but it really just starts to jump a bit when it goes to this bridge scene and the whole quiet part of... Um, Ronette mm-hmm. just walking over the bridge. That was probably the most eerie shot for me of the whole episode. Um, yeah, so that yeah. for me, with her, with her walking, and also I, that kind of threw me for a curveball because I didn't. I mean, I didn't know going into the show what's going to happen, but I really thought that throughout this whole show, the focus is going to be Laura, and there's not other victims or like victims that have potentially survived. Um, so, yeah, that kind of really threw me for a whirl. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a big shocking moment to be like, hey, here's someone that saw what went down. Here's someone who knows. You know, she's incapacitated. She can't say anything. She can't uh, uh, give any information. But here's another victim, someone who survived and you know the way she crosses the bridge it's it's you know it's almost like she's like a zombie it's it's so creepy and you see the scars and you see the bruises and it's like yeah very eerie uh, you know it's almost like like i feel yeah like like i feel bad for laura but i almost feel even like worse for ronette because she's oh, yeah, just to have gone through something and then survive it like and barely i mean ugh. but um yeah. Ooh, one thing I don't want to miss, who I did take note, I wrote down while watching, I love Josie. <laughs> I just wrote, I don't even know this woman. I just wrote, I love Josie. I think it was that red lip. And yeah, just She's the great. whole, what was it, back in the beginning of the episode with the lady coats snippet of just Josie and what's her name, <laughs> Catherine, with their proper... Mm-hmm pine tree like fancy coats i was just like wow they're yeah so josie i love her i don't know her she may have killed laura palma i still love her (laughs) (laughs) josie josie's great i mean it's interesting it's the i mean the episode first starts off with her Mm. putting on makeup like the opening shot is 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 josie and it's the first person we see it's the first person in twin peaks that we meet and yet you know she's she's 
you know, foreign. She's not originally from Twin Peaks. And yeah, people, you know, kind of treat her like she's foreign. Like Catherine kind of, you know, like when Josie goes to shut down the mill, like Catherine really like chews into her. Like, no, I run this place because you don't know what you're talking about. And yeah, so she's she's really interesting. She's a fun character to explore. I'm really excited to for you Same. to learn more about Josie. Of course, probably what everyone was waiting for when they watched this episode, or at least what I was excited about was drumroll. Dale freaking Cooper coming in hot with the recording in the car, talking to Diane. Coming in like what what are we like a half hour, forty minutes into the episode, and only now we get the yeah, main I character. Do, I really love I love kind when that's done really well. When yeah, I did think mm-hmm. that I did actually look at the time too when he finally showed up and I was like, Wow, this is when you watch a film or a show and they have a really, really, really good intro and then the title card like comes in like 15 minutes later or so on um yeah dale what an opening and yeah i I love and and there's like this like complete like tonal shift when he comes in i get so excited talking about dale i i I, he's he's great yeah the pace of how he's talking he okay i think i mean i don't know if he's actually my favorite character yet i feel like he definitely might be because of just how right off the bat witty or i should i mean yeah he came off witty funny the 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 trees is what got me i mean someone that loves trees that much how can you not like them i mean <laughs> douglas furs <laughs> he <laughs> douglas furs he's He's just such he's just such like a precious little bean. He's talking about like what he had for breakfast and like and again, like you have you have another character who's an outsider to Twin Peaks, even more so an outsider because he has never lived in Twin Peaks. And, you know, everyone in Twin Peaks kind of has this like sort of laid back sort of like, you know, wearing uh, like, you know, slacks and just kind of like chilling out. And then you have this guy coming in in his FBI suit with his, like, greased, slick back hair. And he's talking fast pace. And he's saying, you know, like, everyone's like, oh, Laura Palmer on a Plansky. To him, it's, you know, oh, like, well, like we're going to go see that girl up at the hospital. It's a really interesting tonal shift. And I, I'm i excited for you to see, uh, to see Dale and, and all the things that he has to bring to the show yeah like the enthusiasm goes the enthusiasm goes to like a to an 11 when he shows up just the sort of optimism he has Mm -hmm. like how he approaches it he just seems so sure or at least content with his job Mm -hmm. and so focused in a in a very like a very peculiar way that yeah i'm very fascinated by him um trees aside even um okay didn't notice this until I saw your notes about this, um, which makes me really worried about how, I mean, I was taking notes and watching the show very thorough, and I had to go back to the scene in the elevator to notice that the guy didn't have an arm. <laughs> I like I was like, wait, there's a one-armed guard? I, like, I did notice the guy in the elevator, and I thought that was a little bit um, odd how it was shot i'm like wait this seems like it could be an interesting character but i was too busy looking at dale cooper because i'm already starting to crush on him a little with how much he you know how 
adorable he is. But yeah. Uh, Kyle MacLachlan is a beautiful man. Kyle MacLachlan is a I'm so glad we covered that in the first episode because yeah. My feelings are there on the table. First viewing. Okay. This was so when I mentioned that I had seen the episode years ago, like and I dozed off, I remember waking up and seeing this scene with the one with Truman and um and Coop basically examine Laura's body with the flickering lights. Um and of course the um the what was it? The note or the letter R way too far up her ring finger nail a little too far it was tough tough scene to watch i every time i get screamish at first i was like oh it's not that bad it's just like right under her nail and then all of a sudden like (laughs) goes a little further and then he like digs all the the cuticle and i'm like Uh, no 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 no." um yes that was interesting a very sort of nancy drew moment for me i mean no that's a bit more graphic for nancy drew but this is a this is (laughs) (laughs) yeah say what what nancy drew have you been watching (laughs) dark (laughs) nancy drew no um no but just the whole kind of this is really getting into the (laughs) nitty-gritty under the nail (laughs) nitty-gritty mystery uh sort of vibe of solving this um murder so yeah, I just realized it's just the letter R, and there's nothing else that's really a- added into that, um, except for the fact that it's the same thing that happened to a prior um, case that Coop is referring to. Uh, yeah, some 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 fun notes about this scene. Uh, <laughs> again, David Lynch just being David Lynch. The flickering lights, not intentional. Really? The the lights just no. weren't working, and David Lynch was like, uh leave it in just leave it in you're kidding Um, it seems so intentional it's just like what oh okay Mm -hmm. completely accidental and the other thing i was i was i read this recently so maybe i maybe i'm getting this wrong but the the extra in that scene the the -hmm. guy in the morgue with them uh jim that he that he says to leave apparently kyle mclaughlin said his line to him said you know like could you give us a moment? And the guy thought it was Kyle McLaughlin talking to him, not the character. <laughs> so he so he just said his name. He's like, uh, Jim. And so Kyle McLaughlin just repeats his line, just, yeah, can you can you leave? That's amazing. <laughs> and David Lynch David Lynch was just like, I love it. Keep it in. I love these mistakes. I love these weird things that keep happening. Leave it in. That's the absolute, absolute best. Like, uh, I don't think there's anything better that when moments like that are actually kept, the little like bloopers or quirky things or pure improv is just kept in there. Well, that wasn't even improv. I mean, <laughs> I was... I mean, it was just a dude Jim. being like, no, my name's Jim. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and then he won an Oscar. So, Bobby being questioned by Coop and Truman, and what was it, Donna also being questioned by them. These scenes that uh, pan out are quite interesting. The whole footage part that Coop shows, I mean, that they show with Laura and Donna hanging out with, what was it that Donna said? A hiker shot that, where we obviously knew 
she pulled that out of her ass and was lying so she's a bad liar that's one thing i was learning um cooper um responding to bobby's level of unease <laughs> this is also where i want to call like cooper like cool calm collected cooper <laughs> He's just like, we're here to ask questions and you know, you're to answer them. And you know, we're just doing yeah. our job. And Bobby's like, I didn't kill her. Here's how this works, Bobby. We ask the questions and you answer them. It's, it's great stuff. It's, I, love, I love the difference, too, of the way that the way Cooper talks to Bobby versus the way he talks to Donna. Like, Bobby, he just like cuts through the bullshit. He's just like, listen, when you answer my questions, I'm in charge here. You shut your mouth. Um, and then to Donna, he's like, hey, I know you're lying, <laughs> but it's okay. You're upset. Just, just be honest with me. Let's let's just talk about it. Come on, talk. Let's come on. Yeah, let's already talk about it. it makes me realize so, how good he is at his job. He's just putting on such a role for each of them, mm-hmm. um, treating Bobby the way he should be treated. He is, he is, he is both. He is both a good cop oh, and yeah. a bad cop. <laughs> um, oh, and haven't been brought up yet. Adorable Lucy, who has <laughs> the cutest voice in the world. I want to listen to a podcast where Lucy hosts because it was just so adorable. Um, it's just going to be like an hour of her explaining where like the like phone is. Like, no, it's 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 next to the brown one, not not, not the brown one. It's next to the new desk, the new chair that we got that we got to the left or the right. Like she's just so innocent and sweet. Which I don't know. She's so innocent and sweet. I mean, how innocent and sweet she is. <laughs> Raising an eyebrow at Lucy. I, I I feel it. Let's do it. Let's leave no stone unturned. Okay. Four words. These were words I knew about, and I hope it's not a spoiler, but I knew about it just from uh, the fandom, or the legacy that is uh, Twin Peaks. Fire walk with me. Mm-hmm. Is that like a Johnny Cash song? Or Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I went down. No, no. Yeah, firewalk with me. I mean, you know, listen. If you've looked into anything Twin Peaks related, you've seen this phrase multiple times. It's a very important phrase, and that's all I'll say about it for now. Also, can we just point out how many people are cheating on each other in this in this town? <laughs> Everyone. Is cheating on everyone. Um, I'm trying to think of one person that isn't cheating. Maybe Dale. Yeah. Dale is very, very yeah. um, faithful towards his uh, coffee and his trees. His coffee <laughs> and his trees. Yeah, there's a lot of cheating going on in Twin Peaks. And it's it's sort of like what's, what's kind of cool about the show is it's sort of like these secrets have kind of all always existed in Twin Peaks but now they're starting to like like this one major event Laura Palmer's death is kind of causing all of it to bubble to the surface and now we're seeing it now we're learning about you know Bobby and Shelly and their relationship and we're learning about 
uh, James and Laura and what they were doing. And so, you know, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll explore that more. I'm excited to, uh, to go through that more with you, but just something to, to keep, uh, yeah, I did find, um, I know it's only a short, just in the first episode, a short cameo by this Leo character, but it gives a little bit of a, a groundwork for Shelly's circumstance where I'm kind of like, okay, Shelly's not exactly, you know, looking like she's living a happy life with Leo. Um, he ain't no Leonardo DiCaprio. And he needs a haircut. He, he does. Needs, he, he desperately <laughs> needs a haircut. Leo, cut that stupid ponytail off, please. Please. But yeah, so for Shelly, it seems like, I mean, again, it's very, it's early days of understanding where everyone's relationship sort of, you know, status is. But, and with Ed and his his partner, Nadine, I mean, I know Nadine has a thing with the drapes, but I, I haven't been sold yet on, on what's wrong with Nadine. She just wants the drapes sorted, so... She just wants the drapes. She just yeah. wants the drapes real bad. Um, this whole Donna and James scene, clearly now because of what he's telling her, that kind of, in my opinion, is covering his ass. Like, he doesn't have an alibi, but he's talking to this, you know, to Donna, explaining, you know, what actually happened in depth more. So the whole, what, Laura like choking him and then screaming i love you it, this was really interesting to me because he's revealing like this little part of like almost like laura was she sounded like she was possessed or this is like this area where i got a little bit questioning of the sort of um supernatural-esque level of things i don't know it just seemed really eerie how he's described like describing seeing her to donna yeah no absolutely there's there's definitely something eerie going on with laura definitely something uh something that that james has never seen before in her and you know it it just kind of seemed like she was rambling you know she she said you know james mentions that laura says you know even donna doesn't know me she mentions that bobby killed a guy yeah like the you know like like what's that about (laughs) it's not just everyone cheating on everybody it's just Twin Peaks is a lot of shit going on. Like, yes, their murder seems There's new, someone. but yeah. boy. Yeah. And and this is a girl that, you know, when Coop even suggested that she might be doing hardcore drugs, uh, Truman was like, No, you don't you don't know Laura Palmer. <laughs> you don't know her. And it's like, clearly you didn't know her. Clearly no one knew her. Cause it goes even deeper than that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of information. Oh, yeah. Flesh House. <laughs> it's just the beginning. <laughs> I have to say, the way these people, uh, what was it, at least Donna and James, their whole plan of burying the necklace, this is, I think, the one guess that I nailed during the first episode is that they buried the necklace under that rock. And I'm like, yeah, someone's going to find that. <laughs> They're going to find that in the next few episodes. Found it by the end of the episode. I mean, could you bury it a little deeper? They basically you... gave it a <laughs> headstone that says, oh, lift rock here. <laughs> like, it just was a bit. Like, if, first of all, it's Seattle. <laughs> it rains like every other day. A gentle rainfall. And that thing is, like, already visible. Like, just... <laughs> <laughs> 
just get a few more digs in there and then unbelievable they're teenagers we gotta we gotta cut them some slack teenagers potentially messy with murder (laughs) messy with alibis (laughs) and messy with apologies Uh, i do i i i do love the 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 following scene with uh you know they like they 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 get caught and she's like he didn't do anything i I mean clearly he did there's a curfew you're both wrong and then doc hayward best dad in twin peaks what an absolute scene i was expecting him to just lift up a number one dad mug talking to his daughter he was just so he was so sincere endearing Donna Donna has probably the most functional family in Twin Peaks so far in this episode. I think you know like Harry like her sister Harriet like just to go back to that scene you know after some time has passed blossom I like the full evening. blossom <laughs> yeah. of the evening. <laughs> what a little sweetheart and then like you know her her parents are good they love her they care yeah like, and they seem like a, a they, actually now when i come to think about it they seem like one couple knock on wood that were they like they seem like they understood each other yeah it seemed like a family that was quite functional with such a town as twin peaks um i did have a little observation that i want to say which is the tulips the tulips in the foyer were red <laughs> take a drink um <laughs> also when she walks into her her sister's room harriet's room um there are tulips there yellow tulips there and she has a little bit of like flowers um on her bedpost right by her head and then she starts talking about you know the full the 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 full blossom of the evening or full flowers and i just thought that was quite a a play on words like visuals and stuff like that which i thought was quite cool josie i'm glad that she made at least you know a few cameos um her and truman so are are they actually single people or actually are they within other relationships so so truman is not in any other relationships josie is widowed um yeah so her uh her husband was Catherine's brother and so that's why Josie technically owns the mill but Catherine kind of runs things Catherine's brother owned the mill um, and was married to Josie when he died he gave the mill technically he gave the mill to Josie but Josie just allowed Catherine to kind of run things and now obviously there's some tension because Josie is starting to put her which foot down and more. okay I found so not only is Catherine giving off Karen vibes, but she was also giving off a bit of a Dr. Pervy Jacoby vibes or the the scene with Truman and Josie towards the end. And the fact that Catherine's just casually calling someone up. <laughs> just just yeah. peeking through the window, watching them. Look. Just chilling <laughs> like a potential villain. And that was definitely questionable. I'm curious, of who, you know, who was on the phone, of course. Um, and I did pause at least three times. Sarah with her scream. This woman, 
she deserves an Oscar for her screams in this just this first episode alone. But mm-hmm. there's a figure in the mirror. That's not just me, I'm assuming. I mean, that wasn't a picture within a picture in the mirror. That was a person standing there. And the whole flash with the, the digging. What was... The, the amount that Lynch can put in 30 seconds, or 10 seconds for that matter, is mind-boggling. I don't know how I'm going to get through this show. This show is going to screw my head up. I will I will I will just leave it at that. I think uh I will I will answer no questions. This is why I joined. I will put on my David Lynch hat and answer no questions. It's like, "Oh, Janine, you want to join a podcast where um your your brain will turn into mush for other people's entertainment?" Um yeah. Sign me up, Mike. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Let's do it. Well, that was the first episode of Twin Peaks. My goodness. And now, what a what a download. What a lot. Hour and a half. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about the production, some of the behind the scenes stuff, the stuff that mm-hmm. you don't see on screen. Um, this episode was written by David Lynch and Mark Frost. Uh, again, you can really see the david lynch influence and some of like the weirder moments there's that weird like like when bobby and mike are like barking through the 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 bar is at james you can kind of see that but then you see you see the mark frost influence and the sort of more beautiful sincere sort of soap opery moments um episode was directed by david lynch and produced by david j lapt Good job, David. Um, just some interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Way to go. A lot of David's <laughs> representing in this episode, really. There's some fun behind-the-scenes trivia. Uh, so in the Roadhouse scene, there are two songs that are performed. Uh, one is Falling, and the other is Nightingale. And both are performed by Julie Cruz, who makes a, an appearance in the show, playing herself, performing Quite at the Roadhouse. Quite in love with that scene both of those songs both my cup of tea or coffee i should say Mm -hmm. there you go isn't she a gem like she's just so she's got such a beautiful voice and it really just like sets yeah it sets such a good tone for such a perfectly also i find it quite um interesting how soft and elegant sort of her singing is in a place called roadhouse (laughs) so yeah roadhouse um, (laughs) <laughs> like i do kind of love how it's like there's like these like tough <laughs> bikers in the crowd and like the fight breaks out meanwhile julie Cruz is just like <laughs> like just like singing so peacefully keeping the it's, peace again it's that david lynch um there was actually an alternate version of this episode of the original pilot episode um that was released for uh internationally um, so it's referred to as the International Pilot, and it's actually a self-contained version. So basically what it was is it pretty much wrapped up all the events at the end of the episode, including solving Laura what? Palmer's murder. Oh, crap. Yeah. Obviously, as the series went on, things changed and were different. We'll come back to that international trailer at some Ooh, point and watch okay, it once cool. we've finish the series and knows what happens but uh 
it was sent out internationally and it was actually filmed in case ABC decided not to pick up the show and would basically just say, well, you know what? Instead of a TV show, we just have this new movie called Twin Peaks. Oh, cool. I love this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but of course, they, they picked it up, and now we have the, the show of Twin Peaks. So, Janine, I want to know some of your thoughts on the episode. What were what was your overall process? I know we kind of got your the scene by scene, but what did you oh, think boy, overall? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, um, so many characters to take in in just one episode. Um, <laughs> Cooper. I love I love my boy Cooper, um, Andy. Andy, man, I know he doesn't show up a lot, but any character that cries, like Andy, he's he's gonna be in my book forever. I think one like I think the scene that stood out the most for me in this episode. Probably the the kid with with the locker. I know that's so small, like, but the kid closing his locker and dancing across the hall, trying to impress David Lynch or something, or just like that, and learning that afterwards makes it all the better. But yeah, even in that moment, it was. I think it's just like that kind of element. You know you're really good at making something when you can sort of when I guess it's like breaking the fourth wall or just like reminding you that you're watching something and you're like wow this is a little bit odd and I'm watch but you're still immersed in it. It's one thing if you can watch something like watch something and then you um you get pulled out of it because of what they do. But David Lynch always tends to put things in there that could be very abnormal or not what you're used to as an audience member. And then it still keeps you in it. And that, to me, is quite impressive. But yeah, I have to say the scene that stood out, stood out the most was definitely <laughs> that flipping kid. And I'll never know his name. And I'll never know who he is. But yeah. that is probably the worst answer ever out of that whole episode. <laughs> and listen, if that's what stands out, that's yeah. what stands out. I... I always think for for me, like this really sets the tone for Twin Peaks, this first episode in a way that, that I think you'll see as we go along. Um, I'm always reminded, do you remember in high school, I'm not going to say his name, but there was an art teacher and he used to always say, you have to make the lights lighter and the darks darker. Yes. Yes, I do. That's what I think of when I think of Twin Peaks. It's it's making the lights lighter and the dark, the darks darker. It's oh, this like, yeah, um, yeah. But Caraskudo, if I'm saying it right, it's referring to, it's like when you think of um, Caravaggio or like paintings that depict the darkest darks and the lightest lights together, making this very deep, intense, dramatic contrast. So when yeah, that is super David Lynch. If I'm if I'm not mistaken yeah no absolutely absolutely and it it really comes across i think um in this episode and janine did you like the episode oh my goodness um i was really intimate i was really intimidated (laughs) going into it almost especially because we're you know you you asked me to join this podcast i was like oh gosh i like going into this 
you know, what happens if I don't like it? And it's like, I mean, it might be interesting if I don't. But seriously, all um, podcasts aside, I yeah, I I enjoyed this episode. It, and also, even if I didn't watch any other episodes moving forward, though I'm excited I am, this as a standalone um, episode was amazing. It was like a movie in and yeah. of itself. So many characters, such a good setting, um, a backdrop with amazing music that intertwined with everything and the pace and the the sort of obscure tone of it all was really interesting in a way that is really refreshing for someone who's a big fan of mystery um, and like murder mystery solving cases. This is something that I, I'm glad that I'm actually seeing it so many years, like decades later since it was made, which is really cool because I get a fresh take on it. But yeah, I loved it. Totally. Well, on that note, Janine, give me a donut because we're going to talk about, we're going to head over to the RR Diner, the double R, and we're going to talk about the legacy of this first episode of Twin Peaks. So we can't talk about the legacy about this first episode without first talking about it's an uh, initial reception. Um, the show first previewed in 1989 uh, before it went on television. It premiered at the Telluride Film Festival. Um, that same month, Connoisseur Magazine ran a cover story calling Twin Peaks the series that will change TV oh, forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... My goodness, they were right. Uh, some of the other reception, Tom Shales of the Washington Post wrote, Twin Peaks isn't just a visit to another town. It's a visit to another planet. Maybe it will go down in history as a brief and brave experiment. But as can be said of few other TV shows in the near or immediate future, this you gotta see. So it had a lot of exciting reception around it. Just from the outset, people knew immediately that this was something that hadn't aired on TV before. Um, a lot of people saying that this is going to be the movie that will change TV forever. Uh, this is going to be like, this is, this is going to change the game. And in a lot of ways they co were correct. Um, one of, one of my favorites was, um, Ken Tucker of Entertainment Weekly, who talked about how he liked the show. So this was after mm -hmm. the show aired. This was a review afterwards. He said he really liked the show, but he also said, will Twin Peaks be a hit? Not a chance in hell. Well, maybe in hell. <laughs> Soaked corpses, sobbing deputies, and muttering G-men. It's all very unsettling as is Lynch's refusal to signal the emotion he wants the viewer to feel in any given scene. So it's interesting because it's kind of like, even then people were like, yeah, this is going to change TV. But will it last? Is it too different? Is it too weird? I, it's funny because when you think of these reviews, it's like, wow, a lot of pressure on this person. But when you think of David Lynch... I can imagine, at least from what I know, he's like, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just yeah. gonna keep making my thing. Exactly. And not care keep what doing you my think. thing. Yeah, and absolutely. That's probably um, I can imagine is what continued the success. Yeah, absolutely. And I so you know, there's a lot that we've mentioned about the characters, and we're gonna talk about these characters in full in other episodes. We're gonna talk about the music in full in other episodes. But what I really want to focus on is the legacy of the town of Twin Peaks itself. Because, you know, this obviously wasn't the first show to feature a small town, um, but it was definitely one of the more impactful. I mean, to give you an idea, there was uh, Dark Shadows, a show that came out in 1966 about a small town. Um, Northern Exposure, which is a show about a show that takes place in Alaska came out the very same year as Twin Peaks. So it wasn't totally unique, but it was definitely impactful. And as a matter of fact, it was such a risk that if you notice in the opening, the Twin Peaks, Welcome to Twin Peaks sign says that the population is 51,201, which doesn't really sound like a small town. And the reason for this was because ABC actually requested that they changed it. Originally, the sign said 5,120. Wait, why did ABC actually change it? Because the network executives were afraid that no one was going to watch a show (laughs) about a town with a population that small. What? (laughs) There are people that would watch... So they literally just... So they literally just go. They just add a one at the end, and boom! Now suddenly, Twin Peaks. It makes it makes absolutely no sense when you're watching this show. Oh my god, ABC! <laughs> really incredible stuff from the network executives. That's at just ABC. so interesting to me because you, there are plots out there that have the population of one or two. I mean, people watched what was that movie with Harrison Ford and what's her name? Where they're like stranded on an island. That's two people in a film. I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, back back then, it was really kind of unheard of to have this focus on such a small town. Now, obviously, Twin Peaks kind of takes its uh, its style from soap operas back then, which were sort of based in small towns. But in this case, you're talking about a murder mystery and... You know, yeah, G-Men coming in to this small town and bodies. And ABC was like, yeah, no. <laughs> 5,000 people, no way. Multiply it by <laughs> 10 and we'll talk. Um, so, yeah, so definitely definitely not the first. And it's, But it, it is kind of the first show to have this sort of small town weirdness. You know, it's... It, it certainly, like I said, it, it, it definitely wasn't the first. I mean, I can think of examples of like, you know, Twilight Zone episodes that take place mm-hmm. in small towns or, you know, again, like the show Dark Shadows, which is a small town where weird things happen. But there's something so unique and iconic about the way Twin Peaks approached it, where it's not like there's like these overt sort of supernatural occurrences happening in the town it's more so like 
there's this mysterious underlying presence that exists. And we see that now in shows, I mean, even shows like uh, Stranger Things, Mm -hmm. which is so popular now. Uh, animated shows like uh, Gravity Falls. Oh, I love Gravity um, Falls. Even, uh, it's such a good show, but you could see where the influence really comes from Twin Peaks. It's that small town, that Pacific Northwest kind of vibe. Uh, I mean, Riverdale, especially now, you know, kind of in some cases it almost overtly rips yeah, off. Yeah, now Twin when I come Peaks to think in of a it. Lot of senses. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, but that was the influence that, again, not just the show, but the town of Twin Peaks itself had. And this episode was our first introduction to that and seeing that and experiencing that. And Janine, <laughs> I'm so excited for you to see more of it and for you to get Me accustomed too. to this weird, wonderful Me town. Me too. It really shows that it's basically a town that is a major character to play al- along with all the characters that live within it. Absolutely. And I would be remiss if we went through this whole episode without at least once mentioning our dearest log lady, who makes a brief appearance in this episode, but we will get to learn more about her. I was hoping um, so, because I think I fact, relate to her the most, even though she shows up for maybe 12 <laughs> seconds. Just I'm like, flickering yeah, the lights. <laughs> she's she's fantastic and and as a matter of fact uh for the first season abc once it aired actually went back and filmed log lady intros so you can go online and youtube these there's uh videos of just the log lady sitting in a chair talking directly to the audience and introducing the episode so in that episode uh, or uh, in that intro for this episode she says this she says welcome to twin peaks my name is margaret latterman i live in twin peaks i am known as the log lady there is a story behind that there are many stories in twin peaks some of them are sad some funny some of them are stories of madness of violence some are ordinary yet they all have about them a sense of mystery the mystery of life and that's the legacy that this town carries into the zeitgeist, into pop culture going for, for decades later. And it, it all started with this episode. I mean, who would have thought Log Lady is a storyteller? Oh, yes. Oh, she's just... Highly recommend you watch those going into the next few episodes because they are so great. So, so great. Are there any spoilers I have to be uh, cautious of? Or is it, could I binge watch these intros yeah don't binge watch the intros watch them with each corresponding episode um but they are definitely worth watching they are super super fun and super enticing but yeah yeah boy oh boy oh boy oh boy boy. all right and now janine i'm gonna bring you into the the sheriff station because i've got some questioning (laughs) to do to wrap up our pod here so at the end of each episode, I'm going to ask Janine uh, probably the same questions every time. We'll change them up as uh, as the plot demands. First and foremost, and I think I think you covered this already, but Janine, what scenes stood out to you the most? Oh yeah, um, my boy. <laughs> 
the dancing the dancing guy. guy. I wish it had a name. I feel like I should just name him something off the bat. What's the first thing that comes off of my head? Um, Roy. <laughs> oh my. Roy. Roy locker hallway locker dancing boy named Roy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, I, it's just so David Lynch, yep. and or at least from what I've gathered in his work prior, um, definitely the scene that stood out to me. Totally. Uh, Janine, who's your favorite character so far? Oh, there's like 23 characters that can introduce them. Literally, I counted. <laughs> I, or I think it's around 22 or something. I was just like, this is so many. Um, wait, okay. Favorite character? Oof. I feel like it's too soon to say Cooper, though he probably will be. But if I had to go with one for this first episode, Andy. Yeah. I love it. I just, love that choice. He Andy was the one character. that was able to keep my feet on the ground. Remind me that's okay to cry. That you could still get through your job. And emotions are real. Everything Andy's feeling is valid. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, exactly. millennial icon right there. Um, okay. Also, who won the episode? Who do you think got their way in the end? Who do you think stood out the most? Who do you think really, really came out ahead oh, in this episode? Who won? Um, oh, I want to say whoever got away with killing Laura Palmer still got away and won, but I don't know who that is. So I, I'd say right now, actually, you know what? Cooper. I think Dale Cooper totally won this episode because... Boy, does he love his job. He, You win when you love <laughs> Douglas Firs as much as he does. And when you enjoy your breakfast that morning and you're ready to serve the day and solve crime. And yeah, Dale, Dale Cooper totally won. Totally won by a long shot. <laughs> That's a lot of exactly. scout cookies. <laughs> he had, uh, you have to admit, and it makes sense when you said that um david lynch just says dale cooper is him because he had all the best lines like it was just it was great he won by a long shot amazing i totally agree i think just seeing him just having a ball winning our hearts yeah, give if him nothing a donut. else <laughs> dale cooper won the episode. Give, him a donut. Give, give him a donut give him a donut uh and janine last but certainly not least the most important question the question that would define this show for it's pretty much it's run. Who killed Laura Palmer? I don't know why. I am just getting a bit. The the first character I questioned and still have a bit, I guess maybe um, I'm most quizzed about is uh, Norma. Something about Norma. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how good of a guess that is. But yeah, Norma. Um, I think it was just because she was the first character that showed off a bit of a, I mean, of course, Audrey, you know, has giving a very manipulative sort of, uh, sinister vibes. Um, but yeah, I, there's something about Norma makes me want to guess her in this episode. Maybe it's because, yeah, she seemed like, yeah, I don't know something. I don't know what you do in Lynch to me, but I want to guess Norma. Okay, so we will cl we will keep a close eye on Norma. And on that note, folks, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. This was the first ever episode of Twin Speaks. Awesome. This this is intense, <laughs> but it is awesome. 
I guess we should come up with a with a sign out. So what's a what's a, what's a um, good sign out? <laughs> right away, I thought donuts. I mean, if people could see us, we would obviously dance out of the scene like the like Roy. <laughs> we would just <laughs> we would dance like out of the locker hallway. Um, or or do that like the the, the Bobby <laughs> drunk dance on the top of the car. Uh, um. Uh. I guess, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to go with full blossoms of the evening. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. There we go, folks. <laughs> Thank you for listening and enjoy your full blossoms. Let's not keep of the that. Evening. Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs>